the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We're talking workplace evangelism and very excited because later today we're joined by Chicago Cubs organist John Benedict. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good on this Wednesday evening. So glad that you are with us today. Hey, if you missed our time with our friend John Benedict in studio talking about his uh, incredible job playing the organ for the Chicago Cubs, we'd love cool to job. invite. I know what and a he's cool so job. Good. He, he is, is so, so unbelievably good, talented, and fun. Follow him on social media if you well, don't. What you start to realize, and we talked to him about this, is like he's really good kind of in the moment of like doing funny things he's like a good showman yes yeah like he's talented but also like a absolutely a, a, an entertainer absolutely for sure you can follow him on social media but go back and listen on the podcast to our conversation with him because that was a lot of fun brian um are, do, are you familiar with lazan i think it's like a it's, it's like it's global, think of john piper kind of a global evangelical yeah, organization yep, yep. basically they're kind of the state of evangelical christianity around the world mm-hmm. not just america around the world um, they have been, they have an event coming up in August in Seoul, Korea, which I wanted to go to. I'm not clearly, they didn't invite me, they so did I'm not, not going. but, um, they've been posting a little bit about evangelism and writing about evangelism in the workplace. So essentially kind of calling Christians like, Hey, you don't need to be in ministry. You don't need to be a pastor, but your job is to follow the great commission and have spiritual conversations with people that are compelling to both Mm -hmm. non-Christians and Christians alike. And really calling like, Hey, we need workplace evangelists more than ever. Like you, if you're in the workforce, you're not in, you know, full-time ministry. We actually need you. Your witness matters so, so much and kind of encouraging workplace folks like, Hey, the Holy spirit wants to use you maybe to at least, help people take one step closer to Jesus. So there's some authors over at Lazan, Bill Peel and Jerry White, and they're noting some things like if you want to, um, if you want to witness to Jesus with the way you work, here are some things to think about. Mm. Okay. The first one is this doing good work. They say that's a key component of evangelism. Your job. job. I think that's fair. Yes. Christians in the workplace need spiritual leaders to help them understand that their daily work is a holy calling that matters to God in their witness. And they talk about how uh, this is from Proverbs. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. Why do you think you and I are not marketplace people? Like, let's be honest about that. But why do you think competence is a key to good evangelism? Because it's super annoying if you're a bad a bad employee totally. or a bad coworker. Totally. This is like this is like the Christians who go to a restaurant and don't tip, mm, mm-hmm. but then like leave like a, a gospel track. Well, here's some good evangelism. Start with a twenty percent tip yeah. or even more. 
and then leave your gospel track, right? Like, uh, and so I think if we're talking specifically here about workplace evangelism, it's not primarily an evangelistic field. It's primarily a workplace. Yes. So work well, be a person of your word, get there on time, get your work done. Don't be like that guy or girl in the office. Like, yeah. Work well and then have a good reputation. Yes, that's Same it. Same in your neighborhood, right? Have a good reputation as a good neighbor Take and that will open lawn. the door. Don't yes. let your dog bark all night. They say if people, if we want people to pay attention to our faith, we must pay attention to the quality of our work. Um, I think that they were also saying, like, think about Jesus as a carpenter. Do you imagine him using substandard materials, performing shoddy carpentry, overcharging customers? Absolutely not. They would conclude that Jesus's theology was as wobbly as his table. So the way you competency at work matters for your witness. I think that is so fascinating. It really is. That's good. All right. Here's another one. Faithfulness. Well, competence is critical to our witness. Faithfulness must accompany good work. Competent people who promise, but do not deliver are of little value to their employers or God's kingdom. I do think this is a matter of integrity as well. Like, you want, if someone can't meet their obligations, can't meet their deadlines, consistently shows up late, it, it's connected, I think, to competence in a sense. But like you want workplace partners, colleagues, et cetera, that you can rely on. Mm. You know, if you're like, hey, I'm showing up for work faithfully, I want to know that you're going to do the same for me. And again, I think that builds a trust and an integrity where you say you're not questioning their character. Yeah. Right. What are your thoughts uh, about uh, that one? Again, it goes back to character. Like, So often we think evangelism is about the words that I use. Like, well, you know, I just have to share the Mm, Romans road correctly. Yeah. But if I think you're a bad employee, coworker, if I think you're a bad neighbor, if I think you're a bad person, why would I ever want to hear anything you have to say? In fact, it would probably push me away from Jesus. It would probably make me go, I don't, if that's, if if I'm going to end up like you, I don't want to be that way. Like, don't be the Christian who cuts corners. Don't be the one who steals, you know, office supplies from the company. Don't be the one... Or whatever else. And if you are, then maybe stay quiet about your faith a little bit because you're probably hurting the witness of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. The next one they say is connected to what we just talked about, character. Doing good work faithfully is not enough. Character must be attractive. They quote C.S. Lewis here. C.S. Lewis reminded us that uh, when Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the world. They say people take notice when we fall, which we will, but when we fail to admit it, when we fall short, that's a problem. More important than always getting things right is to acknowledge that we often get things wrong, seek forgiveness for our mistakes, make amends to those that we hurt. Our character, though rarely stated in job descriptions, must fortify our life and our witness. I mean, yeah, there's just no arguing with a person of character. The last one is concern. This is the way that we treat our coworkers, colleagues, and clients amid daily stresses and successes. That reveals whether we care more about others or Mm. ourselves. When people see our genuine concern, they see the beauty of Jesus alive in us. Our willingness to listen and receive input says, I care what you think. You have something valuable to contribute. This is interesting. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. So and when, this stuff seems obvious yeah. because it, you know, you spend a lot of time at your work. So work is a big one here, but this could be, you could insert word neighborhood. You could insert the word family. You could insert any of those things, but it's about your character. It's yeah. about living out, not perfectly, but nope. living out what you say you believe, yep. what you're sharing. It's about 
showing being different. Like if, you know, if if you're the least liked person in your in your office, it's probably has very little to do with your faith and persecution and probably more to do with your character and your disposition. That's so good. That's such a so good just thought, don't Brian. be that person. Yeah. And then just you a earn good the right to be able to talk to people <laughs> mm-hmm. and to enter into their struggles mm-hmm. and to whatever else it might be. So, yeah, that's ultimately what they say. Lausanne. once once you've kind of our confidence, faithfulness, character and concern work together then you've earned the right to be heard. They talk about how that becomes an eloquent apologetic for mm-hmm. the gospel because that opens doors for gospel conversations. They, they're they clear, like nobody comes to Christ just by watching you. Like I remember, this is an old Bill Hybels thing, but he'd be like, the way you take care of your you know boat with joy really matters. And someone might come up to you and be like, I notice you take care of your boat with joy. Mm. What? What makes you do that? And that's your opportunity to say, it's Jesus. Well, that probably isn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. Like, no one's necessarily even paying that much attention to you to know. But I do think people note how you respond to suffering. I think day-to-day in a workplace, how you respond to stress, Mm -hmm. how you treat people. And that will allow doors to open for spiritual conversations where you can talk about Jesus in your life. You can invite somebody to take one next step or to consider Christ. Like maybe you're not like evangelizing your whole office with gospel declaration and preaching, but all of these things work together to create an apologetic for the gospel. Like maybe you remove some of the barriers of belief, Mm. the rubble of Mm -hmm. disbelief Mm -hmm. simply by the way that you live and you work. Fascinating thoughts. from. I just think we so often think that it's only about the words Mm. we say. Yeah. And your words don't matter apart from your witness. Mm. And in your workplace, when you're there so much, uh, just have that in your mind. Yeah. It's not just what kind of worker are you? What kind of coworker are you? What's your character say about you? Uh, And take that into account before you ever be like, let me preach to you about Jesus. Yeah, that's good. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk about why bad looks good. Why things that are bad for us are actually very attractive to us with author Wendy Patrick. We'll have that conversation when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. And we are thrilled to be talking about a subject I think you'll enjoy, Why Bad Looks Good, with author Wendy Patrick. She's the author of a book of the same title. Dr. Wendy Patrick, thanks so much for being here with us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Mm-hmm. All right. So I love this title I told you off air, Why Bad Looks Good. Talk to us about why you wrote this book and titled it the way you did. <laughs> well, I have to say the the idea for this book is the culmination of 30 years as a prosecutor. Mm. Working with victims, talking with them about why they made the choices they did, why they chose to go on a date with somebody that ended up being a rapist or Mm. hiring a daycare provider that ended up abusing the kids or, you know, whatever it is, both personally and professionally, we are all vulnerable to making the wrong choices because let's face it, we've all met somebody that wasn't quite what they seemed. Mm. So we can all sort of relate to this idea of you've got to know more than whether somebody looks good, sounds good, or even makes you feel good. There's mm. more to the analysis. Mm. Mm. Wendy, uh, in your book, you talk about, I believe it's called the fallacy of feelings. Like, don't just trust your feelings. Can you unpack that a little more? Because I think a lot of us were taught, oh, we fall in love and we feel <laughs> love and it's all that. Can you unpack the fallacy of feelings? 
That's right. So, you know, bad often feels good. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is true whether we are, you know, digging into a hot fudge Sunday or going on a date with a really attractive person that we know nothing about. Mm-hmm. We often feel things that are uh, deceptive. You know, we are, we are made to feel good by people that manipulate us. I mean, that's probably the scenario that I've seen over the last 40 years, whether it is human traffickers selecting victims. They wouldn't necessarily go for the best-looking girl. She probably already gets enough attention. But what about selectively targeting somebody that isn't used to receiving that kind of attention, making somebody feel desirable, valuable, smart, pretty? We can't just trust that somebody that makes us feel good has our best intentions at heart. Mm -hmm. And that is part of the fallacy of feelings. You know, that's even a biblical concept. It's emotion itself is not the barometer of whether somebody is bad or good. It's the prompting and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. not how do we feel about something. We're talking with Dr. Wendy Patrick about her book, Why Bad Looks Good, Biblical Wisdom to Make Smart Choices in Life, Love, and Friendship. Um, Wendy, one of the things that I was reading around your book description, which I loved, is you're teaching people to move from wearing rose-colored glasses to reading glasses. (laughs) And I think that discernment is so important, especially in choosing relationships, dating, friendships, et cetera. Can you unpack that for us? Well, when we decide that we we like something, whether it's a person, a job, a, a potential new purchase, new car, whatever it is, we tend to start viewing it differently. And we trade in our our reading glasses for rose-colored glasses. We look at it differently and we mute the red flags. You know, the perfect example of this is getting involved with the wrong person. Maybe at the very beginning you were objective and you may have seen a couple things that were concerning, but when you start to get that feeling about somebody else and you kind of, you know, decide that you're going to view everything optimistically, you're looking through a muted lens and what mm. might be alarm bells to some of your friends and family members, they sound like that, that pleasant tinkling of wind chimes to you mm. because you really blunted your ability to see red flags when you inject that positive emotion. So, you know, the best time in a relationship, in a decision, when you're thinking about it is at the very beginning because that is when you're most likely to be totally objective. If you already missed the window, then talk it over with some of your friends and family who no doubt have remained objective when you've been swept up in the chemistry. Yeah. Uh, and, And so let's talk about what wisdom actually looks like. I think you touched on a really important point there. Talk to other people, let other people weigh in who might be seeing things objectively. Uh, Talk about the importance of loved ones, of people who know you well, of other people uh, helping you make kind of a wise decision in your life. Well, the best defense we can have is godly friends and family around us. We can belong to a faith community. We can have accountability partners. We can have trusted individuals that we go to for a second opinion. Mm. And if we don't share what we're thinking about doing, the people we're seeing, if we don't share that, with our faith community and with our trusted others, usually friends and family, when we're on our own and left to our own devices, we may not always act out of biblical wisdom. You know, the the wisdom portion of this is following the word, not the world. Social media influencers would love to have everybody sort of captivated and going in one direction. 
But if you open your Bible, you may find that is certainly not the direction that God wants you to go. And the reason there are 26 chapters in my book is there is a chapter for everyone. Mm -hmm. Everything from when frenemies look like friends to when lust looks like love, Mm -hmm. the allure of idolatry, infatuation with instant gratification, all these areas that every single one of us can relate to. Yeah. Oh, so good. I, I know one of the things you also talk about in the book is identifying healthy sources of power. What does that mean? Well, power in and of itself is not bad. I mean, the, Jesus Christ had incredible power, mm. but it's the way we use power. It's transformative power. It's empowering others. It is benevolent use of power. There's nothing necessarily wrong with having a title or having a, achieved a certain amount of success in your life. But when you use that to build others up, to share, to equip, to train leaders uh, as they're coming up through the ranks. That is how you tell bad from good. It's looking at the fruit of using what God has blessed us with. So that's one of the very important parts of maybe judging somebody with power and not being unduly influenced in a fashion that wouldn't be good for you. Mm. You know, sometimes we say there's a reason that God has not interested many of us in playing the lottery or gambling or trying to achieve some things in life that other people strive for, because it becomes more complicated when we are trying to manipulate something like power. Power is far better used by those that are already very good at wielding it the right way. Hmm. Uh, Wendy, uh, a lot of parents out there. I'm a parent. uh, Aubrey's a parent. How do we begin to have this conversation with our kids? Because I know like when I was a teenager, it was all about instant gratification and what's fun and what's this. Uh, How do we build this kind of discernment and wisdom into our children? By having really great lines of communication. You know, the, the thank you for asking that because the parents that are closest to their kids often have kids that look up to them. You know, mm-hmm. you talk about the, the power aspect of it. You know, parents are often in positions of power that they can use to equip their children to understand some of the reasons why you have certain rules or regulations. You know, the beauty of the Bible is it's not just a list of thou shalt not. Mm-hmm. You can't do it because I, I said so. No, it, it includes the rationale as to why you shouldn't, i.e., to make sure the outcome is good for you so your kids are happy, healthy, attractive, successful, have plenty of the right kind of friends and opportunities for the future. You know, all of the things you're sharing with them are to build them up and make them have wonderful lives. Mm. If they could see it that way, as I'm guessing your kids probably do, because you strike me as very good parents, (laughs) they're far more likely to want to follow your lead in the same way that, I mean, what is the commandment about uh, obey your father and mother, respect your father and mother, so that all may go well with you? That's one of those commandments with a Mm. rationale. So that's one of the things we can do as parents is to actually communicate the good reasons why we have these guidelines and rules in place. Dr. Wendy Patrick is the author of Why Bad Looks Good, Biblical Wisdom to Make Smart Choices in Life, Love, and Friendship. Wendy, where can our people find and follow you, and where can they order this fantastic book? Well, the book's easily uh, found on Amazon, but I will say my website is another good place to to learn not only about the book, but about lots of seminars and things that I give and my other books. It's wendypatrickphd.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at at wendypatrickphd. Wendy, thanks so much for being here with us today.
Oh, thanks for having me. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Sometimes we <sighs> sometimes we tackle difficult topics. Yes. Sometimes we just get mad. We just did Grinds My Gears, yes. which is a tie-in to our next guest here. <laughs> but sometimes we just have to talk to interesting people. Right. And now we bring in our old producer, former producer, John Benedek, who, of all the things he's done, his probably number one deal is creator of Grinds My Gears. That's right. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yes. This is the guy. I, I didn't know where the Grinds My Gears connection was yeah. coming in. I thought you were like venting that John was in the studio or something. But no, he, he was you're here. the founder and inventor, the creator. Yeah, the, the curator. Wow. I birthed it. I can't believe you guys still, do you still use the same original yes. bump? Oh, yeah, my so what you created. Wow. You know what really so grinds my gears. <laughs> John's wow. creation. But. Our old friend John Benedict is back in, and while on his resume, he puts creator of Grinds My Gears link, uh, link song or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Really, what's above it for him is John is one of the two organists at Wrigley Field. If so you fun. go to Wrigley Field, you have a 50% chance of hearing John. That's right. And uh, we're like, man, I-, I can't tell you, by the way, buddy, how many times I tell people, oh, yeah, I know the organist at Wrigley Field. <laughs> no, I know. And they'll be like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, let me text him while I'm at the game. Like, I'm not on today. Oh. Man, my cloud so, just went down. Anyway, how are you, my friend? I'm I'm doing well. It's 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 so, it's like surreal to be back because it, it's like a time capsule. Yes. Not, not yeah. much has changed in the yeah. studio. Yeah. And it's, but it's like a familiar feel like it's not it's not a bad like oh my gosh i'm walking in and i don't like this hasn't changed it, it, it's actually i mean i'm better like looking home. and uh <laughs> uh you know ian is you sitting in the corner we'll let john weigh in on that later <laughs> right? about, that was a i'm not gonna say anything <laughs> john save me, save so me. Yeah, 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 yeah. help people your story is fascinating yeah. and i got a little bit of a front row seat because you were still here as the cubs right. were talking to you as right. you were talking to them and it was kind of done I'm not going to get it, but I'm going to try to do this. And all of a sudden you come in one day and you're like, yeah, I'm one of the organists for the Cubs. Walk the story. (laughs) I want people to hear the story. No, it it very quickly went from I have nothing to lose to holy moly, this actually might happen. Because (laughs) in in the offseason between 2019 and 2020, that was when Gary Pressey retired. Mm. And I was was at the game when he announced his retirement and I was sitting next to a couple of my friends and – we kind of just glance at each other. We're both musicians. We're like, we should go for it. And we're both kind of joking. Like they probably have a bunch of guys right. in yeah. the wings. Like there's yeah. no way. And it came to, that was August of 19. And then come like February of 2020, a month and a half, hypothetically, right. <laughs> before right. the season was supposed to begin. Right. Right. Um, I get an email one morning uh, from some people in the Cubs and my friend, Paul, who was the guy who actually put my hat in the ring without me knowing. <gasps> Come on. Yeah. And <laughs> he connected me with people and they just asked for an audition tape. And I'm like, oh, that's what I'm doing this weekend. I have nothing to lose. Wow. So uh, the organization, the nonprofit I used to produce podcasts for, Club 400, is this like Cubs man right. cave out of Lake in the Hills. He has millions of dollars of memorabilia in his basement. And one of those pieces of memorabilia is the old Wrigley organ. <gasps> no way. That still operates perfectly fine. And I auditioned on that organ. Yeah, I'm like, you did. yeah. And I'm like, that, that was actually the, one of the cooler things about it is because I, I got to actually play a Wrigley organ for a Wrigley yes. organ. That's cool. Yeah. Um, That's cool. So one thing led to another. You know, they asked for another tape. They gave me scenarios and a couple phone calls. And I'm like, man, this, they keep, they keep calling me. It gets interesting. <laughs> 
And then they brought me down for an actual simulated game audition in late February. No I remember way. I remember it was ice cold and the bo- the press box was being renovated so they had me in one of the owner suites and they brought <laughs> the organ down there and they gave me the headset and they put me through the ringer for like an hour. It, Come was, on. it was it was a blast. It was so much fun. Um I'll I'll rewind the tapes a little bit like how I got the rhythm of baseball when I was at uh Western I had a good relationship with the athletic director i worked with the athletic department okay. i was a public address announcer yeah. i did audio stuff for them yeah and for baseball games i'm like can i can i just try this out i'm gonna bring a keyboard i have my mic switch on the floor with my foot so i can i'm a pa guy i got my scripts and my lineups okay. and i got my keyboard in front of me and i would just pl- i would just get the rhythm of the game and play organ oh, interesting oh it made umps so mad <laughs> our, our coaches our coaches loved it but man the umps were just like this guy plays every single time and i'm like i don't know what to tell you there's 40 people here <laughs> right, but, right. Um, just playing around but you know that actually really helped kind of understand the rhythm of the game down the road, I didn't know it was going to be for this. Yeah, okay. seriously. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think about five days before the world shut down. That's yep, what you're the COVID oh. organist. But yeah, I was. You remember? I was. I like, I'm kind of in the running for. All right, let's get started. Like we it, like, was, it was so. It was yeah, so yeah. before we started doing the show, and then they called me when I was actually sitting at the the the, the soundboard next door. No way. Yeah, and I was actually in the news booth next. You know the, the yep. Yep. yeah yeah. talking to the agent as come he gave on. it to me. Yeah, come on, that's wild. That's wild. It was it was, so it was cool. fun. So I do have fun memories. One of the things Brian and I were talking about because it's fun to watch you on social media too. Um, you seem to obviously have the skill set. Like I wouldn't know how to like play the organ, but also mm. you're like a showman and an entertainer. <laughs> and I think that's what's you know that's why the Cubs fans love you. Is that natural for you? Is that something you had to work on? Is that like, like to know no. what to play? That's funny, yeah, or it's this, or it's that. Yeah, in the moment, people like that, that's the and that's that's the kicker because you could be a seasoned seasoned musician you can get to gone to school for yeah. Oregon you could be that yeah. guy but if you don't know the game of baseball and you can't play by ear mm. I know like mo- I, there's a weird niche community of ballpark <laughs> and stadium organists that I'm you know I, I connected with some of these sure. and they all seem to have that common denominator where okay. they can pick things up relatively quickly yeah. and they're just in this constant state of riff right that's it right. they're just walking yeah. about their day like i'll find myself at like a stoplight and it's like stop in the name <laughs> like, this is real life it's a curse help me i yeah, know but that that actually helps me relax because that's just how i've been my whole life yeah. i can read music i was classically trained on piano but when i start when i started playing by ear like i discovered i could do like oh, yeah. i could play songs that aren't written down on yeah. music and that's just it's so much more fun because it's fast Freeing and you can feel it and, yeah and like the enthusiasm comes from me as a cubs fan i grew up that's going to cool. wrigley field yeah, i grew up like cool. loving these guys and me and my dad would go and my mom's a huge cubs fan so like that just ties into my enthusiasm and i have to be careful because i can match the highs of the fans yeah i cannot match their lows uh, i cannot and it's like because I just then you get lethargic and you're just like laying on the floor yeah, of the booth. It's right. like no, I have a job to you do. Like to stay focus. On yeah. And, like, Every time there's an error, he's like, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> you see that, that kind of like I have to be, I have to be neutral. I can be emotional, but I got it. Yeah. I gotta so be. the pressure with John here is we have to stay on time too, because as a former oh, producer, man. all right, couple rapid fire questions. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, you were the organist for the College World Series, yes, which sir. I, my son loves the college. Yeah. He, he was super impressed by that. How was that? What was that like? That was a a whirlwind i'm telling you it was double headers for eight straight days 
Um, and then that final series, I think I think I played 16 games. That's so cool. and it was it's a blast. Uh, it's a different animal as far as the organ goes. It's an old school Hammond C3. So it's about a 75 year old organ that has the old tone wheels in it. It's very very mechanical, very analog. Uh, but as far as like the crowd, like when you get LS, any any SEC yes, school, yes. LSU, I think Old, Old Miss had been there before. But like, man, they're rowdy and they bring it. Like the entire game is like you're on the edge of your seat, and it was great baseball. Yeah, mm. great yeah. baseball. It, those games were good. Those games were good. Okay. Uh, second question: Have you met? So you guys are both kind of young and new at this. There's a legendary organist over on the south side. Well, there had been, yeah. Oh, she's not there anymore. No, no, uh, Nancy Faust. Yeah, yeah. I should no, know yeah, these no, things. Is she not there anymore? No, she's. She thinks she left in fifteen. Oh, that long ago. Yeah, no, she. It was forty-two years. I literally thought she was still there. Like you go there and they they'll have like still the play booth. her recordings because okay. they they do have one. I forget her name. There is an organist there who's there part of the time, and I don't quote me on this. Okay, so she. I, is, you're actually. I'm, but you don't have to quote now. me. I'm saying it on the air. Okay, because I, I, no, I, I know it. you got to be on. Was it the Today Show or Good Morning America? Today Show, it was Today Show. Yeah. That. that was really fun. Yeah, and there's a lot of celebrity Cubs fans, a lot of Chicago-based celebrity. Who who sure. have you met? That's cool. That's the uh, I I think Jim Belushi is one of my favorites. <gasps> oh wow, he's he's just like a chill guy. Okay, uh, he, he he's a comedian, but he also uh, owns and operates a, a weed farm. Like a so marijuana farm, yeah. So he's, he's a very chill guy. Very chill. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's he's he's a very very pleasant person. Um, Bob Odenkirk was cool. Yeah, I think actually his his first time around, he I knew I was he was coming because we get like an up like a heads up at the at the okay. very latest at the beginning of the game, like okay. we know who's going to be up there. Okay, and he comes up and he turns a corner. I'm like, oh hey, good to meet you, Bob. I got to be professional. Yeah, be the fan girl. Yeah, and <laughs> another. Person's behind him, like, and he's like, "Do you know my friend Susan Tedeschi?" No. I'm like, and I, I'm, a, I'm a blues freak. I love the blues. I love the Tedeschi Trucks band. I like that. I got. She's one of my favorite overall no musicians, way. and she's just there hanging out with Bob. And I, ha- I do like this thing. You, you can't see me in the air, but I'm doing that. I'm like for like two seconds, I had to do it. I'm like, oh my gosh, hi! And then I shake her hand, and then she's like, hey, good to meet you. She's so sweet, and like she's like, oh, let's get our key and. It's so lame because I'm like sitting at the organ. I'm like, oh my god! I'm like, I'm like collaborating with Susan Sedaschi. Oh my god! And I'm like, yeah, no. So those it's That's awesome. stuff like that because so I cool. I have to be like stoic and professional and like there was like a small moment where I wasn't. That's but, so cool. Where yeah. was the first moment where you were like, I can't believe this is happening? I I have and I it sounds cheesy. I have that. Oh my gosh! Moment at least once a game. Really? Once a game? No, 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 like where I, 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 I have to catch myself, and I, I, I tell myself that I have to do this. Yeah. I have almost have a reminder. I should have a reminder on my phone. That's actually a good idea. Where like I, I can't, <laughs> I can't get used to it. I can't like look out and be like, this is just a job mm. because it is a unique situation. I'm, I'm, I'm upholding a tradition that was started yes. at Wrigley yeah. Yeah. and has continued at Wrigley. Thank goodness the Cubs have, like, they have, there's so many aspects of tradition and, and hints at the pastime of baseball at Wrigley Field. I think Wrigley Field itself is a national landmark. It is the second oldest ballpark in the major leagues. and That's so cool. There, there, there has to be this 
this this sort of kind of like uh, gravitas to what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it's a monument. Mm-hmm. It, it, there, there, there's it's still current, it's still operating, but there's mm-hmm. a history. Like Roberto Clemente was there, Babe Ruth was there. Yeah, right? there's been so many names yeah. that have passed through, including the organists. And like, I, I I'm carrying a torch. Josh and mm-hmm. I like have this task. Other than to enjoy the ball game, we're like, oh, we're we're a part, part of this of now. We're yeah. a part of this now, and we. Yeah. And I have to catch myself looking around, like, man, the, like that's amazing. Roberto Clemente looked at that scoreboard. <laughs> <laughs> like Babe Ruth pointed out to those vines. Yeah. Like, yeah. like yeah. that. That's cool. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Has there ever been a moment? I'm not going to ask. Obviously, this goes without <laughs> saying. It's no names here. Has there? What percentage of people who come up there to sing the seventh inning stretch? Like big time you or just aren't cool. Like you're like, oh, that guy was a jerk. I won't ask for names. Shockingly, no, no, you're happen. right. And you know, it's, I won't. I obviously won't name names, but like, there have been people that just aren't. They're not like, hi. How, they're not personable. Yeah, they're not warm. But, but they, I'm not. I'm not going to ever say that this is the way this person is yeah. because it's five minutes max. That like you sure. could just be having sure. a bad day. Sure. You could be tired. You could be like, oh, whatever. And like. People have we're people. Yeah. I've had those days coming in here. You you know, like I walk in, I'm just like not having it. Yeah, like yeah. everybody has those days. Yeah, everybody makes mistakes. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, much much of them, like a an a large vast majority of them are great. Yeah, yeah, because I think they just they they enjoy it as much as we do. They're not yeah. there. Sometimes sometimes it's like I think the like they're invited, but like met, many of them are just like oh. I'm at a Cubs game and yeah. I get to be a, yeah. I get to contribute yeah. and yeah. that's cool. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's okay. Cool. What about like young musicians listening that are like, that's my dream job? Or even if it's not, let's say it's not that. <laughs> it's just like, um, I want this to be my career one day in in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you're not, you know, playing organ for a sports team, but just like I want to take the next step in my music career. Mm. What's some advice? I, uh, I would say like like. As much as it is important to hone in your craft and to like be good at what you do, mm-hmm. uh, never, never stop enjoying it. That's good. Like, because like, it's it, good I, life I, advice. No, yeah. it, I, I, I learned that early on because my my piano teacher uh, Sally Mantelo, she was such a regimented, talented, theoretical musician. She was a Juilliard grad. Like, oh, wow. so good at what she did. Um, and I was not traditional at all from like a young age. And she very well could have been like, no, you're not yeah. doing this, this, and this. Yeah. You can't do this. Right. You can't mess around. You got to be yeah. serious. Do, do your techniques and your scales and your arpeggios. Yeah. But she didn't. She's like, okay, I see the part of it that you really, really enjoy to do. Mm. You enjoy just making things up and finding mm. and, and listening to songs yeah. and playing them back. So here's the deal. You learn the techniques. You yeah. learn the Beethoven's, the box, the Mozart's, yeah. all those. Yeah. And then you also get to do this. That's cool. So That's we, cool. It, she was right. To, she knew the importance of the technique and honing cool. in your craft. But also, if you don't enjoy it, what's the point? Yeah. Do churches ever ask so you to good, come play the yeah. organ? Do old yeah. churches go? Hey, John oh, yeah. Benedict, come. We've got an old I did organ. A Thanksgiving service last year, and I church organs are a different beast. Are they? I think, yeah. It's it's the same principle where you got the pedals and the stops and yeah. things to make different sounds but i think it's a different um style different different way you play it and it's a lot it is a lot more bare bones uh the lowry at, at wrigley there's a lot of 
uh, capabilities with rhythms okay. and all this stuff. It does a lot of it does a lot of work for you, yep. um, nice. which is awesome because you can. Make He's it not work. actually playing. Yeah, yeah. no, it's I just, just push going. a button. I'm just sitting there, like <laughs> I move my hands behind yeah. the. Don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at me. All right, I got two more questions, and we're gonna we're gonna be done. Okay. Uh, first. I, I know you think the Cubs are going to make the playoffs. So let's ask the question this way. How much how, how much do you believe it? You would put a little bit of money on the Cubs? right? You're probably not allowed to because you're an employee, but a little bit? This is my hypothetical. No, no, or you're like, now, I Brian, am all in. Brian. I'm putting all my organ money in right now. Before, I'm confident. Before that on-air switch went on, you and I discussed the one thing I'm not allowed to talk about. Betting on the Cubs. Shame on you. Brian, Shame on Brian, you. It has to be fun that the Cubs are playing. I didn't know you were a shock jock here. It has to be fun that the Cubs are playing well right now. They're playing it's amazing. It's got to be really right fun. They're, it's, it's, it's really fun to watch. Uh, um, yeah. Any that's, uh, that's going back to a former profession of yours, there's got to be a good Ian Simpkin story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to oh, hear that. Man. We will then send to him. I want to hear this. <laughs> Ian Simpkin's story. Do you remember, by the way, you were our producer when we did the hour long Rick Warren offsite? That was kind <gasps> oh, of the highlight, wasn't that it? That was, yeah. Uh, those those offsites were, were interesting. But especially that one. He. Uh, <sighs> Well, yeah, like, like I think we just—it's it, a struggle, especially with people who are preachers, and that, that won't. Like, I know you both are. Yeah. We, we just, are, so be careful. Yeah, when you, no, 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 we can't all be organists. Now, here's the thing: it's, it's, it's the one thing, and uh, you guys are gonna get at it because you also are here. Is knowing when to stop talking. Yes, I think because you can make a lot, lot of good points, but it just felt like it's at some point. You've 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 made your point. Yes. Yeah. Talking in circles. Yeah. And you could see I just I, I, I have pictures on my phone somewhere from that because I use them for social. And you could see Ian's face like just kind of like <laughs> he does that like thing where you lean into it like mm-hmm. and, he, and, and as soon as it's like he's not punctuating at any point, yeah, no he just kinda sits no back pauses. and gives up and looks over. Uh, that was and funny. I think Dan Herman was in the room too, so he's just like we had a good time that day. Yeah, no, All right, last funny. thing. Somebody wants to hire John Benedict yeah. for a party, for a wedding, for <laughs> something. They want they want the Cubs organist to come <laughs> and do their stuff. Are you? Are you do you do stuff hire? like that? Oh yeah, I do. And I if do, so, do where weddings. can I, we get them? Well, I, I, my my website just johnbenedict.com, b e n e d e c k. Um, you could find me on my socials. I usually check. I usually check the. The, messages the DMs and stuff yep. like that even like the, the 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 ones that aren't from people that I follow I I check those too Good for you but um yeah weddings and 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 corporate events I've done in the past cool. uh, they're fun but yeah I, I I would encourage people to follow John on Instagram yeah, he's a great follow yeah. on he Instagram. oftentimes what he will do is set up his tablet or his phone mm-hmm. right there on the organ as someone's doing the seventh inning stretch yeah, that's it's fun. fascinating I was mm-hmm. on vacation with some family last week and literally my brother-in-law was like is this the guy who used to be like he, he popped up on his algorithm? There you were right there. Awesome. So, hey, man, we're proud of you. It's really yeah, fun. So we miss fun you being around here, but it's uh, it's really fun. Good to, good to catch up with you, friend. Uh, you too. Love you guys. Thank you. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.